0: I don't know about you, but when I am sick or when I am tired, when I am um, in a crunch to get something done, uh, if I'm going to need to be in some place in a hurry, I don't want to be bothered by anyone or anything else because I've got something to do or I'm in this place, I'm in this position, and anything outside of that place of urgency, urgency. whoa, <laughs> <laughs> i <I'm> know. <laughs> Man, I wish I'd have had something better to say at that moment, but anything outside of this place of urgency is insignificant unless it has to do with what I am focused on right now. Moms, you know what that looks like? I know teachers. I know some of you educators know what that looks like. Leave me alone. I got something I got to get done here. And so this phrase comes to mind about being on task. And so I've used that a lot uh, in my life and been involved in uh, leadership. You talk about being on task, uh, about things, but uh, this phrase can turn negative. Uh, if we're not careful, it can turn and where it becomes more than just being focused on something, more than just trying to accomplish something that we want to get accomplished. It, be, it can become this this narrow, let the world burn down around me as long as I'm not bothered with getting done what I've got to get done. And so that's what it can, can kind of become. Kind of like uh, driving the, the speed limit. When you're driving the speed limit and you're, you're driving safely, a safe driver, you know, keeping your distance, and, and then someone gets right up on your bumper. Someone comes up behind you, and, and then they so much as move over in the lane a little bit, you know, so you can, they make sure you can see them in their side, your side mirror there. You know how that goes? Or if it's nighttime, they want to make sure that their headlight on bright is hitting your glass so that it bounces into your eyes, so there's no doubt you know that they are behind you and you're in their way. And then you wonder, how come I can't feel the bump? Why have I not felt the bump yet? Because they have got to be touching my bumper. You jerk! How inconsiderate of you! You reckless! How rude! How, How... Okay, so you don't like this speed? You don't like the speed I'm going? Well, how would you like 10 miles per hour slower? How do you like that? You know, and so then we put our brakes on, we slow down, and let's see how we like this. So we get caught up in that. Never thinking about, you know what? Maybe they just found out that their child at home has had an emergency, and they're trying to get there to take care of that. Maybe they just found out that their parent was taken to the hospital, and so they're trying to get to the hospital quickly to find out how their their ailing, aged parent is doing. And maybe they had bad Mexican. They're trying to get home, and all they're thinking of is, this person in front of me, how inconsiderate. Why don't they get out of the way? And so we get caught up in this. Because when life revolves around me, then everyone else is the problem. When the world revolves around me, everyone else is the inconvenience. Everyone else is the nuisance. Everyone else is the distraction. Everyone else needs to get their self together when it revolves around me. And some people live this way all the time. Some people kind of come into this, you know, these thoughts and these uh, maybe these outbursts, you know, when when a, when we're under the stress of life, when something happens in our life and so we're under some, like, some more stress than usual. And when it's us or, or it's somebody that we're close to, somebody we have a relationship with, that's acting this way, what do we say? Oh, they're going through so much right now. They're going through so much. We don't blame them for that. I understand how you feel. But if it's somebody we don't know, or if it's somebody who on their best day we cannot stand to be around, just pushes us to the very limits, how dare they? Or if it's a stranger or somebody, it's an area we can all stand to do better in. These sort of attitudes and actions. And Scripture tells us that we need to put these away. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus reminds us, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing back. So you've got to have this attitude that, hey, you know, this servant heart, just as Christ showed, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He, the Most High, is kind to ungrateful and evil people. I just need to... Can I mark that out and not be in trouble? Because <laughs> God is kind to ungrateful and evil people. There's, y'all know there's stuff in the Bible that I just, we just don't, we wish it wasn't there. This is one of them. See, all night Jesus had been praying in the garden. All night this burden, this enormous weight had been, been pushing down on him, this seemingly impossible task looming over him, larger on his spirit as, as the moments, as the minutes ticked by. So exhausted and soul-spent and physically worn out, he'd been praying and thinking about this. So let's just get it over with. Just move over and let them pass. Let's get this done. And under the full moon, Jesus and His disciples could have seen the the flickering lights as this group of, of, of soldiers crosses the Kidron Valley, coming from the city to the mount, up the path to the garden. Afraid and uncertain and anxious, these disciples here with Jesus look on as the trees Close in around them. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 47, while Jesus was still speaking, suddenly a crowd appeared, and the man named Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He walked up to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was about to happen, they said, Lord, should we use our swords? So you've got this chaos and you've got this confusion going on here, this overwhelming position. Lord, how about we hit the brakes and see how they like tailgating now, huh? Can we do that? And so in the confusing confrontation between these soldiers and these servants and these armed disciples who were no no doubt afraid for their lives, this incident could have exploded into a bloodbath. Very easily, just like that. And it almost did. It almost did. But see, since it involved Jesus, everything that was going on, all the events here, everything was contained because He was in complete control of all the events that evening. And in chapter 22 and verse 50, then one of them, one of the disciples, struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his right ear. And we know from John's account, the Gospel of John as he records this, it was Peter, Peter swung the sword and it was a man named Malchus who was in the wrong place at the right time when the sword came down. He wasn't a soldier. Malchus wasn't a soldier. He wasn't a guard. He was a slave. Malchus was a household servant of the high priest who served at the will and whim of his master. And so here he is. And he was there would have been there when his master Caiaphas expressed his his concerns to his colleagues about this young upstart from Nazareth who was making some ripples about the, the city and the region there. And he would have been there when it was decided to stop Jesus. Period. And he would have listened in on the negotiation with Judas as they came to an agreement that we would do 30 pieces of silver for this information. And now... Malchus is there for this big finale when the entire plan was coming together. Here he is, just an observer. And he wasn't even armed. I mean, why would he be? He wouldn't be armed. He's a servant. And besides, neither Jesus nor the people that Jesus had been been with, the men traveling with Jesus, had ever been violent. It was Jesus, in fact, who told His followers to love their enemies and turn the other cheek. Why would He worry about this? And so it had to have been a complete shock when suddenly the big burly fisherman pulls out a sword and starts swinging. He had to have been taken off guard. And I can only imagine... Because I don't think, I've been hurt, but I have never been hurt like that. I can imagine that he, he was hurt so badly. And, and probably never hurt that bad in his entire life now as he felt here. As he, as he puts his hand to the side of his head to, to, to cup over his, you know, what, his hurting ear only to find out there's no ear there. There's only a flow of blood. And as he looks down and he sees there, lying on the ground, his ear. I can only imagine this. Wouldn't he fall to his knees clutching with one hand a piece of him that's no longer a piece of him and with the other hand trying to stem the flow of blood? That's what I would have done. I don't know if he was aware really of all that was happening around him now at this time, but he knew one thing. He ain't got no ear. He had no ear. That's what he knew, you know, right now. But Jesus said, enough of this. Enough of this. Not enough of the sword. Not enough of all you coming to get me. Enough of your attitudes and actions. Enough of this way of thinking. Have I not been with you so long and still yet you do not understand? Enough of this, He says. And He touched the man's ear. And He healed him. And everything that must have been on his mind. What must have been a a chaotic scene here as the disciples began to scatter and as the soldiers tried to contain all of this chaos here. Jesus knew what was next. Jesus knew how this night was going to end. He knew the rest of the story. No, no time for this foolish. Ain't nobody got time for that. No time for this. No time to deal with your ignorance now. we've got. Let's just concede. It's over with. Let's move on. Move over and let them pass. And each day it seems like another story emerges and... Out of Las Vegas, you know, as the shots ring out and the people scattered and the the chaos, every direction trying to find some some shelter, some escape from the danger, some way out. They fled from the danger. Who wouldn't flee from the danger? Yet story after story is told, is coming out of someone who turns back. Someone who carries someone else. Someone who, who shelters, who covers someone else so that they will not be harmed. Who in turn takes that danger, that death upon themselves for the sake of someone else, regardless of the stereotypes of the audiences of country music fans. Regardless of that, there was such a diversity in this crowd. You you read about who was there. There was such a diversity in this crowd, a diversity of economy, a diversity of, of beliefs, a diversity of voting preferences, a diversity of lifestyles a diversity of generations, and yet in story after story that is told, there is the the, the ones who perished and the ones who survived. There seems to be this common thread, this common characteristic, this common bond. Kindness. Kindness has prevailed in the midst of this tragedy. And where was God? Where was God when this happened? Where was God when the face of such tragedy? You know where He was? He was carrying someone to safety. Where was God in the middle of this? He was shielding someone from danger. Where was God when this happened? He was giving His life so that someone else could live. Where was God when this happened? The same place He was when the darkness of the whole world was raining down on Him. That's where He was. Because Jesus says no one has greater love than this that he would lay down his life for his friend. That's a secondary impact we see here. We're talking about points of impact. See, many collisions involve a secondary impact. There's a primary impact where you have, that initiates the collision. And so, you know, you can think about a car versus a car, a car versus another object, but then there's a secondary impact that occurs. A secondary impact is caused by the deflection from the primary impact. And so two cars collide. One of them spins off and maybe it hits a guardrail, maybe it hits a tree, maybe it hits another vehicle there. They they spin off into into something else. Or you're in that vehicle and you're not wearing a seatbelt. And so when the collision, the primary collision, the point of impact happens, then you impact something else. A person in the car, the, the steering wheel, some other object. There's always a secondary collision. And Peter's ill-advised attempt at defending his, his fellow disciples and his Lord here initiated a primary impact with Malchus, which sent Malchus spinning off in another direction to experience his own secondary impact. And in that moment, in that impact, Jesus reached out and touched This Malchus. He touched him, and it had to be so strange that the pain just disappeared. It just disappeared. And one minute it was there, and the next minute it was gone. And under his hand, still cut to the side of his head, the flow of blood was replaced with an ear. But here's the thing Malchus was the enemy, Malchus was the bad guy. Malchus was here representing the very ones who had ordered this arrest and subsequent death of Jesus. That's who this man was. And so Peter lashes out. And we lash out at those who would threaten us. At those who threaten our way of life that we're settled into. We lash out at those who threaten our way of seeing the world only through our eyes. We lash out at those who threaten our way of treating others the way they treat us. Not the way we want to be treated. That's who we lash out as. But see, Peter still didn't understand the kingdom of God. And before he stepped into the blade of a fisherman's dagger, Malchus didn't understand the Kingdom of God. And these soldiers who came to arrest Jesus and carry Him away, these representatives of the Jewish court, did not understand the Kingdom of God. And we still struggle with understanding the Kingdom of God. And in the middle of these two worlds colliding, we've got this point of impact. This collision here where Jesus shows us once again what the Kingdom of God is all about. Here it is right here. Because He shows us what God is all about. Jesus had spoken earlier in Luke chapter ten and verse twenty two. All things have been given to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father. Or who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal him. So here is Jesus who reveals a God who heals his enemies. Here is Jesus who reveals a God who is kind to His enemies. Here is Jesus who reveals a God who loves His enemies. Folks, this is the Gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. This is what the world needs to hear. This is what they're longing to hear in the midst of tragedy and chaos. That God loves His enemies. See, the great scandal is not that Jesus is like God. I believe the great scandal is that God is like Jesus. Because see, I can be like God for a moment. I can be like God for a second, a fleeting, passing circumstance. But when I look at Jesus, and I say, you mean God is like that? God eats with His enemies. God touches the unclean. God goes places that I wouldn't be caught dead in. God treats people like that? Those people like that? That's my scandal. That's what's hard for me. That's the impact. And see, when they come for Him, He doesn't resist. And when they hurt Him, He heals them. He heals them. He receives their attacks. And then He's led away to die for the very people who are putting Him to death. He's not going to use His divine power to escape their clutches. He's not slamming on the brakes. In fact, He's pulling over and waving. Get in. Get in. I'll take you where you need to go. Whatever it is, I'll take you. I'll help you. I'll do with you and for you. Jesus only uses His power to heal those who have been hurt by His followers. That's who He is. And so I think about Malchus. Think about this. When he got up that that morning, when he had lunch that afternoon when he thought he was going to bed early that night but was called and said, i got something for you to do, he never could have in, in any the wildest imagination pictured himself here. What do you do with that? What does Malchus do with this? You talk about a turn of events. You talk about doing some 360s on the interstate. I mean, he's still trying to figure out what just happened here. So what do you do with that? Malchus has this incredible, life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And yet, for all practical accounts, he disappears disappears from the store. That's it. We got Malchus' ear gone, ear back gone. Malchus gone just like his ear was. You know, we don't know how big of an impact the crucifixion had on the city of Jerusalem. We don't know that. In our minds, we think it was, you know, this major event with all the major news stations were there and people came out of their houses and closed their businesses to come watch this. I don't think that was the case. I don't think it was. The Romans crucified people all the time. I'm not even sure that some of the people who knew Jesus, who had been touched by Jesus, even really knew the chaos and what was going on as Jesus was being on this mock trial and beaten and led up Calvary. I'm not even sure most people knew that. Except those who were there. But Malchus knew. Malchus knew. Because he would have been there. As servant of the high priest, he would have been right there. If Caiaphas was there... If the high priest was there, his slave would have been there. He would have been there too. Blood stains on his little robe. He would have been there. And he heard the curses. And he would have heard the nails as they were hammered in. And he would have heard the screams of, of the condemned that were hanging next to Jesus and the weeping of those who, who loved Him and were looking on at this. He would have seen that and heard that. He would have heard Jesus ask for water. And he would have heard Jesus entrust his mother to John, and he would have heard Jesus question God, and he would have heard Jesus cry out, it is finished. He would have heard all of that. And he would have seen him take his last breath and bow his head. Malchus would have seen that. And I wonder at what point Malchus would have wondered why the One who had the power to heal my ear cannot heal himself, cannot get himself down off of this cross. Why is he going through this? When I know what he can do, and I wonder how many people he told about his ear. <laughs> you know Malchus, you got a little something on. Oh, that's blood. Where'd that come from? Wow. <laughs> Let me tell you. I wonder. See, Malchus would have been attending his master when word came to Caiaphas, into the high priest's quarters, that the tomb is empty. We've got some issues, the stones rolled away, and there ain't nothing there but some linen. He would have been there when that happened. And I wonder if he put his hand to his ear (laughs) as he's listening in on this and remembering what Jesus had done for him. And what he knew and what he heard though. That wasn't the important thing. This incident itself is not the important thing. The important thing was what did he choose to do with that knowledge? What did he do with it? What did he do? Just like us. That's, that's our same challenge. Malchus had witnessed what happened and, and perhaps he wasn't ready to act on it. I don't know. Perhaps he realized the implications of going along with Jesus and acknowledging that Jesus not only died, I saw Him, not only was He buried, I was there, not only was He raised from the grave, not only did this happen, but if that's the case, then that means that everything Jesus said going into the tomb was true. True. If this man who said that this was going to happen and it happened said all this other stuff, then it must be true too. Maybe he thought about that. And perhaps Malchus wasn't ready for what that would mean for his life. Perhaps Malchus couldn't survive the impact because it would require a transformation. See, if Malchus accepts that, then he's going to have to change how he lives. He's going to have to change life from this point forward. He's going to have to change how he loves. And who he loves. It would be almost like see if he accepts this, it'll be almost like he was, I don't know, born again, born again to a life where bitterness, born again into a life where fear and anger and mistrust, and a life where taking advantage of others, a life where backbiting, a life where hurtful language, a life where apathy would have to be replaced, and would be replaced. With kindness. Perhaps he thought about that. A life where the golden rule actually rules. Because that's the impact of Jesus. That's the true impact of the Son of God. That's the true impact of God's invasion of this world. To rid us of sin. The deadly road of sin. God gives us an off That's the impact of Jesus in a life, But the question is, has He impacted you? And how so? Because when we look at ourselves, the proof of how Jesus has impacted me is the direction. Minor impact. Low speed collision. Boop! High impact. Significant collision. Bam! Something's changing. So what's changed? What's changed? The proof is in your direction. Where are you heading today? What direction are you heading today? Are you heading a direction that you want to go? Have you plotted your own course? Turned God's GPS off and said, I'm going to wing this. Wherever I end up, I'll end up, but it's my decision. Well, I can tell you, God tells us where we end up when we travel without God. We end up in destruction. Eternal destruction. See, God pulls, crosses that center line and puts himself head on with us, hoping that we won't swerve, hoping that we won't hit the brakes, hoping that we won't try to avoid him. Because he knows that even as scary as that collision may seem, it's going to be a life-saving collision. And that blows our minds. Because so much in our life here today is out to kill us. So much of the impact of life today is to But God's impact is life-saving. And that's what He wants for us. So what are you going to do? Are you still swerving? Are you zigzagging around Him? Because He's chasing you. And God will chase us. He will chase us to eternity, but then He's going to have to say, I'm sorry, we can't go any further. Because no one comes to God except through Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, there is no eternal life. Without what He went through, without His obedience, without His faithfulness, without His decision and His love for us, without His kindness, we would not have hope of eternal life. So God wants to know, what path are you on today? What collision course are you on? Because He's ready to collide with you. And if you've, been, if you've had sin as your co-pilot, if you've been pulling over at every hitchhiker that wants to get in and saying, hey, what's next? Where are we going now? Let's get wild and crazy. God calls you to stop. You gotta stop. See, if you're on a train going the wrong direction, you can't just turn around and walk back down the corridor. You gotta get off the train. You gotta get off the train. God calls us today to go his direction. So how about you? Is there some sin in your life that you've been hanging on to? Some sin that you've just been riding around with? Some some sin that's been leading you to make choices and have attitudes and relationships that are unhealthy, that are unscriptural, that are unchrist like then know where that's leading you. Know where it's leading you. And God calls you to repent today. Repent. Confess that to Him. He knows what it is, but you've got to know. See, He cannot heal us until we admit we need that healing. And when we're ready, when we open our hearts to Him, He will pour His blessing out upon us. And we can receive His healing today. Will you repent of that sin? Can we pray for you as the body of Christ, as a family that assembles this morning, pray for you and encourage you and strengthen you in your walk with God. And if you're not a child of God, if you've not been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, there's no other way. There's no other road. And you're going to be taking exits and you're going to be taking detours and you're going to be taking wrong ways through eternity. You're getting nowhere. Well, you're getting somewhere. But with each step, with each mile, with each tick of the odometer, you're getting farther away from God. So what will it be today? Will you put on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? We will celebrate with you and invite you into this family at Summers Avenue as God invites you in to His eternal family as a child of His. So what decision will you make today? What path are you on? What collision? Are you ready to take as we stand and sing this good song?